It's February 2015. At the intersection of Broadway and Fifth in Midtown Manhattan, there's a stage glowing in candy-colored hues of neon red and blue, pulsing like a monster-sized slushy machine. That's what comes to mind anyway, because it's cold. Beyond cold. The kind of bone-numbing New York cold that keeps sane people inside, sheltered from the evil wind ripping off the East River. But there's nothing sane about New York Fashion Week, is there? And this is night two of the most important week of the year for everything couture. And now, it's about to get even crazier. Word has it that the biggest hip-hop artist in the world is about to make an appearance. Climbing onto this rainbow-colored launching pad in the shadow of the Flatiron Building. Standing room only. And if you miss it, well, you may miss out on a New York moment that will never happen again. That fear, fear of missing out, has been enough for some to wait in line all day for the chance to see something electric, the icy cold be damned. And then, a little after 10, it happens. He emerges as if from nowhere in a black hoodie, black pants, black shoes, and very white fingerless gloves. Mike in one hand, a halo of oscillating lights circles the silhouette of Kanye West as he leaps onto the front of the stage. I just fade away. He performs a brand new song of his called Fade, as a cadre of dancers and rappers join him on stage. Then something unusual happens. Really unusual. Instead of moving on to the next set of beats, Kanye starts shouting to the crowd, like really hollering, until his voice starts to go hoarse. We ain't even gonna mention that other company no more, right? We ain't wearing that other company no more, right? The audience looks around, confused. Do they have any idea what Kanye's talking about? The diehard sneaker fans, the sneaker heads, they do. Until recently, Kanye West was signed to Nike, the Oregon-based sportswear company that produced the best-selling sneakers, the Air Yeezys, and the follow-ups, the Air Yeezys 2. And for a while, well, the partnership made a whole lot of sense to both parties the most profitable sneaker company in America teaming up with the hottest rapper in the universe. Bigger than a match made in heaven, this was a partnership of superpowers, one that had already earned Nike tens of millions of dollars in sales, plus the kind of boost that comes from having Kanye hyping your brand in music videos and on stages around the world, stages like this one. But now, Kanye and Nike were no more. Months before this night, Kanye had abruptly renounced his partnership a move that stunned business analysts and his fans. Now, Kanye West was signing on with Nike's arch-rival, the German company Adidas, in a deal worth a reported $10 million. They weren't giving me the opportunity to grow, he explained of his decision to leave Nike. He spoke of stifling conditions with the Oregon company, a lack of creative control. Maybe he wanted to express himself more, but what really rankled him? was that Nike wouldn't give him a cut of the sales, like Michael Jordan got. And now, Kanye didn't just want to change, he wanted revenge. And here, on stage at Fashion Week, months after dumping Nike, this is the big reveal, the official launch of his new line of Adidas sneakers. And on stage, Kanye is openly taunting his former business partners. Sing it loud for Adidas for supporting me. Adidas let me get my dreams out, let me make shit for y'all when everybody was suffocating me. Peering up at Kanye, you can't help but wonder, 
how's Nike going to respond to this? Because this isn't just a product launch. This is something else. Nike can't just pretend this didn't happen. They can't look the other way. How can they? The only real question is what happens next? Because this much is certain, Kanye has just declared war on Nike. If you travel, you know how to pull off a perfect getaway. You know after you enroll with your Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card, you get up to $10 back monthly on U.S. rideshare purchases with select providers, like a car to the airport. You know which remote retreats have the best herbal baths and where the Wi-Fi password is rarely used because you're the escape artist. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Purchases must be on card. Visit go.mx slash you know. Now, since you're a podcast listener, I'm sure you know all about how audio just does something to the imagination. So I'm really excited to tell you about how Audible's brand new exclusive thrillers are brought to life with that kind of captivating sound design, the eerie soundscapes and dynamic performances. There's one that caught my eye. I should say it caught my ear. It's an Audible original called Sleeping Dogs Lie by Samantha Downey. It details the aftermath of a local businessman's murder in Marin County, California, a once sleepy suburb now part of the bustling Silicon Valley area. And as an Audible member, well, you get to keep one title a month from their entire catalog, including bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible now free for 30 days. Head on over to audible.com slash BW or text BW to 500-500. That's audible.com slash BW or text BW to 500-500 and try out Audible free for 30 days. From Wondery, this is Business Wars. I'm David Brown. In our first series, we examine the showdown between Netflix, Blockbuster, and HBO for streaming supremacy. In our new six-part series, Nike vs. Adidas, we're going to be diving into a different kind of battle and the efforts of two multinational companies to edge the other out of the sneaker market. In coming episodes, we'll go decades back in time to the start of Nike and Adidas's rivalry. And we'll follow it to the present to an era of multi-million dollar lawsuits and high-stakes sponsoring spats and a ballooning sneaker market worth approximately $60 billion, bigger than the gross domestic product of many nations. But before we go there, let's start with a simple question. Why the sneaker? Why would two corporations, Nike and Adidas, sink so much cash and energy into nylon and mesh and rubber for your feet? Why would Kanye spend so much stage time venting against Nike? Well, the answer is complicated, but it lies mostly in the sneaker's unique positioning at the center of a lot of vital subcultures, from music to sports to high fashion. No other single item of apparel is so beloved by basketball stars, by professional athletes, by amateur athletes, by kids, by fans of high fashion and those who shape it. This was not, of course, always the case. Until relatively recently, you only need to go back to the 1970s. Sneakers were utilitarian, designed like construction boots for a specific task, equipment for the feet. The very first sneakers? Rubber-soled things called plimsolls, which were used by 19th-century British vacationers as beach shoes 
and prized by seafaring men for their ability to stay stuck to the decks. In the early 20th century, an American firm, the U.S. Rubber Company, riffed on the basic concept with KEDS. Remember them? Canvas-topped, rubber-soled shoes that became popular among runners and tennis players? It's an overnight sensation of sorts. But for decades, through the entire first half of the 20th century, sneakers remained largely the domain of athletes or those who wanted to be. You wore them out running or out to the local tennis club. A sneaker like the now iconic Converse All-Stars wasn't a fashion choice. It was the shoe one wore to the basketball court. Today, we wear sneakers everywhere, of course. We wear them to the grocery store, we wear them to work, sometimes even to weddings. Only the most buttoned down blink twice upon seeing nice ones paired with slacks or suits. The sneaker, for millions of people around the world, has become a kind of focal point of personal style. More affordable than a designer suit or dress, that's for sure. And worn correctly, they make just as much of a statement, which makes the sneaker important to millions of consumers and all the more important to sneaker manufacturers. Now, according to some estimates, the global sneaker market has grown 40% in the past decade and change and is today valued at around $55 billion. That's billion with a B. If current projections are accurate, by 2020, the market for sneakers will reach $220 billion, more than double the GDP of a country like Ukraine. And those numbers don't even take into account what's known as the secondary market. This is the trade in rare or vintage kicks, which is believed to be worth somewhere around an additional billion bucks. Big enough, in fact, to warrant its own stock market, believe it or not. Stock X, where sneakers rise and fall on indices that resemble the Dow Jones Industrial. Point is, the selling of sneakers is a very big business indeed, especially in the United States home to the biggest contingent of sneakerheads in the world. Now, let's take a moment to define the two companies sparring over America's sneaker market. In one corner, we have Nike, founded on the West Coast in the 1970s by a track athlete named Phil Knight and Knight's mentor and coach at the University of Oregon, Bill Bowerman. Nike is big. Not only does the company have almost 60,000 employees and 650 designers, but it has a market cap just shy of $100 billion, making it not just the most successful sneaker company in the world, but the most successful apparel company, period. Under the firm hand of Phil Knight, who built his company with the same ambition and competitive instinct he once brought to the track, Nike sneaker brands have become bywords for street style. The Air Force One, the Air Max, Cortez, the Air Jordan. Nike has rewritten the rules as it has risen to dominance. Breakthrough ad campaigns, revolutionary use of athlete endorsements, and innovations in design and technology, too. Nike spends incredible amounts of money to hold its advantage, but rakes in even more. And in the other corner, it's the proverbial David to Nike's Goliath, the German contender to the crown, the one and only Adidas, which has only a couple of hundred designers versus Nike's 600-plus, was born in Europe not long after the end of the First World War. Its founders were a couple of brothers, Rudy and Adi Dassler, who started their business in Bavaria, building their products by hand. For decades, 
Adidas has been a soccer-centric company, or football-centric if you happen to be located on the other side of the pond. Adidas outfits the best soccer players in the world, and Adidas-branded gear is everywhere at major international sports events like the World Cup or at Premier League soccer games. Adidas makes the balls used in FIFA tournaments, the soccer boots used by stars like David Beckham, and the uniforms of the entire German national soccer squad, which brought home the World Cup in the long summer of 2014. Across Europe, in England and France and the UK, Adidas is the favored brand of millions of young consumers who wear the company's three stripes as proudly as Americans do the Nike swoosh. And yet Adidas very much wants to be more than just the champion of Europe. They dream of being a global sneaker superpower. But if you want to be a global sneaker superpower, well, you need to own the world's largest market. Ground zero for all things street culture cool. In other words, you need to be number one in the United States, Nike's home turf. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, it isn't just your business. It's your life. Whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. See, State Farm agents are small business owners, too. They know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. So, let's go back to Fashion Week in Manhattan on that cold night in February 2015. In the year leading up to Kanye's appearance... Things did not look great for Adidas, at least not on paper. The German company maintained about a 5% share of the sneaker market in the United States, compared to the 60% owned by Nike and its independently run subsidiary Air Jordan. If those sound like lopsided figures, let's put this in perspective, shall we? Let's consider another well-known rivalry between Samsung and Apple. Each company currently commands about 35% of the American smartphone market. And you know how neck-and-neck neck Samsung and Apple run these days. Always at each other's throats. But when it came to the sneaker market back in 2015, well, Nike had 12 times the market share of Adidas. 12 times. Apple and Samsung? <laughs> uh-uh. Uh, David and Goliath. But in business, fortunes can shift rapidly. And what initially seemed to be small strategic moves can have mammoth repercussions. And for Adidas, well, that's just what happened. It started with Kanye's slingshot on that cold New York night. Put yourself in his head for a moment. Kanye knows, he knows that the key to driving up hype around an upcoming sneaker or any product, really, is to preview a wide release with a limited edition line, typically priced far out of reach of the average consumer. The inaccessibility of that limited release is a tactic, really. It's part of a larger strategy. If you want people to feel covetous, 
to imagine what it might be like to own a pair, well, this is what you do. You drive up the buzz among hardcore sneaker fans. You want every sneaker blog from Toledo to Tokyo to feature your very hard-to-get shoes on its front page. You want your fan base drooling, too. And sure enough, in the days after the Fashion Week concert, Kanye has them drooling. First, he offers 9,000 pairs of Yeezy Boosts, retailing for a hefty $350 a pair. The shoes are light brown in color with chunky tan soles and a Velcro strap that fits tight over the laces. They look a bit like futuristic moon boots, like something Han Solo might have worn while visiting a desert city in another universe. So they aren't exactly pretty, but they are distinctive, eye-catching, and they look like no other sneaker. That's the point. And within minutes, the entire release of 9,000 pairs of Yeezy Boosts has vanished. Adidas releases another run of Yeezys, but those sell out too. A third run whisked away as soon as they hit the display racks. By the fall, the average price for a pair of original Yeezy Boosts on resale sites reaches $1,500. Some sites are asking as much as four or five grand, and the online chatter is deafening. Adidas Yeezy Boost, designed by Kanye West, is named Shoe of the Year at the Footwear News Annual Achievement Awards. At the annual awards show, often billed as the Oscars of footwear, Kanye goes on another rant. As a creator, it doesn't matter how big your house is, how big your name is, how much money you have, the rapper tells the audience. Your job is to create while you're here. Soon, the Yeezy Boosts go into wide release, in a range of hues and styles, from low top to high top. Paparazzi catch actors wearing them on their morning bagel runs and famous musicians wearing them to their gigs. But more importantly, as the price point for the Yeezys drops to a more earthly 200 bucks, more or less in line with an expensive pair of Nikes, ordinary consumers are finally wearing the boosts too. Adidas sales figures start to shoot up. For the first time in years, the hottest shoe in the country is not an Air Force One or a new model of the Air Jordans or anything made by Nike. It's the Yeezy Boost. And just like that, Adidas has Nike on the run. Not since the original Reebok pumps were introduced in 1989 to a hungry market has a competitor drawn blood against Nike. Nike, a U.S. brand that many analysts had declared unbeatable has now been knocked back on its heels. And Adidas isn't even done yet. The company signs on a new executive, Mark King, to oversee its new American push. Adidas isn't just going after superstars. It's poaching some of Nike's best designers to run a top-secret lab in Brooklyn. And it starts doling out huge money to secure contracts with big-name basketball stars, one of whom, James Harden, will soon agree to a 13-year contract rumored to be worth around $200 million. Yeezy boosts are just the opening salvo, and Nike knows it. At a gathering in Portland a few months later, Nike executives and managers from around the world converge on the company's headquarters for Investor Day. The news is, by any measure, very good. Nike has released a string of popular new sneakers, including a retro Air Jordan in the same colors as the 1985 original. And Converse, which Nike owns, has scored a hit with a new high-top version of the classic Chuck Taylors. 
Meanwhile, the company's putting the finishing touches on a futuristic self-lacing shoe called the Nike Mag 2. Modeled on a version Nike created for the 1989 movie blockbuster Back to the Future Part 2. Sales are up, and Nike is forecasting $50 billion in revenue by the year 2020. On stage, with the words $50 billion projected onto a screen behind him, Mark Parker, Nike's CEO, speaks confidently of the company's future. Today we're showing how Nike is built for growth, now and for years to come. We lead this market because we serve the athlete and consumer completely through breakthrough product and personal experiences all around the world. And yet, anxiety ripples through the crowd. Phil Knight, the bold visionary who built Nike from nothing, has recently announced he's retiring as company chairman, a role Mark Parker will now assume. Nike is confident and in control of the market, but with Knight leaving, can the company stay on top? And how exactly will the company respond to the aggressive overtures of a clearly emboldened Adidas? Hey, Prime members, you can binge every episode of Business Wars ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. In coming episodes, we'll watch as Adidas and Nike trade blows, sometimes in private and sometimes very much in public. And we'll watch as the sneaker market grows even larger and the stakes get even higher. In the next episode of this Business Wars series, we'll take you back to where it all began, to the German birthplace of a young man named Adi Dassler and a momentous event that would announce the arrival of Adidas to the world. Owens wins one gold medal and then another and then a third and a fourth. A black man trouncing the competition in Hitler's Germany, wearing a pair of German-made shoes. I hope you enjoyed Business Wars' first episode of Nike vs. Adidas. I'm your host, David Brown. Matthew Scher wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Sound design by Bay Area Sound. Our executive producers are Hernan Lopez and Marshall Louie for Wondery. Wait is over. So far, you're not losing. The only thing you're losing is my patience. Quickly, I see that. Ding! The queen of the courtroom is back. I didn't do anything. You wouldn't know the truth if it came up and slapped you in the face. I see he's not intimidated by anything. I can fix that. New cases. She wanted to fight me. Leave her alone. Okay, so, um... Not, this is not a so. This is a period. Classic Judy. Did you sleep with her? Yes, Your Honor. You married his cousin. His brother. That's not him. Yes, ma'am. I would make a beeline for the door. The Emmy Award-winning series returns. How did I know that? I have a crystal ball in my head. It's an all-new season. It's streaming. You can say anything. <laughs> Judy Justice. Only on Freebie.